UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Isn't it amazing how many Christmas things get lodged in our brains? Because you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Exactly. And so many of these different images get fixed. And the truth is not a lot of them are always or necessarily accurate. As Kurt Russell says in Christmas Chronicles 1, why does Santa always have to be fat? And yet it's the image that comes across. And whether it's Santa, whether it's Dickens, whether it's Mary and Joseph in a pretty stable with shepherds and wise men and angels, how much does this cultural fake news get in the way of finding a saviour who is Christ the Lord? This week on Life Issues, we are asking, is it going to be the tree or the cross at the heart of this year's Christmas? And is that even a fair question? As we climb aboard the sleigh, open up the pretty paper and see if there really is any gold, frankincense and myrrh in the baby's stable. Joining me in this winter wonderland is someone whose name is always on the nice list. Cultural commentator, author, lecturer and regular on UCB1. It's Tony Watkins. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. It's nice to be here. Truth is, though, I mean, this whole Christmas thing, the imagery that we carry with us, it is ubiquitous, isn't it? The culture of Christmas does get inside your head and does shape even as people of faith shapes our perspective. Yeah, I mean, obviously all of the, the Santa stuff that is just part and parcel of, of Christmas, um, Santa only became red because of a Coca-Cola advertising campaign. Previously he was green, and and yet we wouldn't think of having a, a non-red Santa around the place. But, but I mean, it's easy to, to just dismiss those kinds of things because as Christians, because we know that they're just part of all of this um elaboration of, of christmas the 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 stuff that we've added in that has nothing to do with the core Chris, christmas story but what we don't realize is how much we've done that to the to the christmas narratives that themselves um the 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 nativity story uh, has been so kind of what's the word sanitized by by western culture um and yeah, we, we see it through the eyes of school nativity plays very often, I think. And and I, I came across, well, I, I saw in your notes, about, as we were preparing for today, and the idea that actually that phrase, which has become the phrase of the last four years, fake news, the truth is you could apply that even to the the Christian version of Christmas. I mean, talk us through some of these narratives that you think perhaps are are missing the point. Uh, well, where do we start? So, so Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary rides on a donkey from from Bethlehem to, uh, yes. to uh, sorry, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Well, singing little donkey, yeah. little donkey, all, all the way, all the way. Yeah. yeah. Where is the donkey mentioned? That there is no donkey <laughs> mentioned in in the, the birth narratives. Not one. But, I mean, it's okay. Maybe it's a reasonable inference that Mary, being pregnant, rode on a donkey because it would be quite a, a way to walk. Um, yeah, but, she couldn't get an Uber. Well, that that's true, but she she might have walked because they might not have had a donkey. We just we just don't know. It, uh, they might have been somebody in the village who was prepared to 
to take them down to Nazareth with their ox cart or, um, or you know, actually, we don't we don't even know that Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem because there is a very uh, strong argument that Bethlehem actually was Joseph's hometown um, and that they they settled in Nazareth subsequently. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, now that's not that's that's slightly <laughs> slightly argued. But but you see we just we just we assume it. They arrive in Bethlehem and then what happens in Bethlehem? They have to go ha- yes. from in to in trying to find somewhere that has a spare room for them to be able to rent while well because because Mary's about to have the baby. She's about to have it now. I mean I don't think they would have left it until the last minute to travel anyway. But if Joseph is of the house and line of David, so so Bethlehem is his ancestral home, and and particular. I mean, this is even more the case if he has grown up there, if it is his hometown. But he could go to anybody in Bethlehem and say, uh, "I am I'm Joseph. This is my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather." They say, "Oh, you're you're one of David's descendants." you are welcome because the Middle East has this extraordinary culture of hospitality today and then. And, and these were Joseph's people. This was Joseph's clan. This was Joseph's uh, ancestral home. He would be welcome with anybody in that town and, Ma- and Mary too, even if Mary wasn't related. to them. Yeah. And, and especially you might say if they turn up and Mary is pregnant and the baby is due anytime. I mean, you know, decent humanity is going to open a door to that, isn't it? So, so where do these, where do these perspectives around this story, where do they come from? Um, well, a, a, a number of places. Oh, and there's a stable business as well, because, because there's no, there's no inns. They have to go to a, to a stable because it's the last place in Bethlehem. Mustn't forget to mention that. So um, there's a number of things going on here. One is this idea that the, because Jesus is, is laid in a manger. Okay. Animal feeding trough. So Western people say, Oh, that's in a stable then because the idea of having an animal feeding trough in your home just doesn't, it's, it's not on our radar because we don't understand how uh, Middle Eastern peasants lived and, and in many cases still do live uh, today. Um, so, so we have already, that gives us a, a stable kind of idea. Um, and then we've got the idea coming from originally, apparently Francis of Assisi, that the, the, the ox and the donkey were, were looking over at, at Jesus just as he bo- was born because of the, um, the phrase in Isaiah, the ox knows its master and the, the the assets owner i think uh, isaiah early chapters of isaiah i can't think where off the top of my head sorry um and so francis of assisi saw that as messianic and and jesus is laid in a manger therefore jesus in the, is in the stable so the ox and the ass are are there as witnesses to the coming of the messiah so so he he did the first nativity reenactment in a cave um with with his disciples for for people to be able to see and kind of sense what was what was happening so francis of assisi has something to uh, some responsibility for all of this and then there's the translation issue so from the king james bible onwards maybe earlier uh, but certainly from the king james the word for the, the place where there was no room was translated as in 
And yet it's not a word for an inn. Luke uses a different word for an inn when, when he has the Good Samaritan uh, story. It's, it's a more general story. That's a, that's a place, a single room place, a, a dormitory, really, where you could go and, go and stay as a traveller. Um, and the word he uses is the same word as for the upper room. So it's a, it's a guest room in a house. So sometimes it was an upper room, sometimes it was a back room. So in a Middle Eastern peasant's house, you, the family lived in one room. Um, so hence when Jesus talks about lighting a lamp so that it gives light to everyone in the house because everybody lives in the one room. But at the, at the entrance, there's an area for the animals, which is not divided from, I mean, there's, it may be a difference of level Sometimes it was a little underground that you might have a cave sort of area underneath uh, with, for, the, for the animals. But often there was just a bit of a dividing wall with the manger as a sunken bit in, in the floor filled with straw for the animals to, to eat from. And then first thing every morning, you'd take the animals outside. So the animals would give you warmth at night during the, the winter and so on. So. Uh, Jesus talks about uh, he has this discussion about Sabbath with the Pharisees and and he says which of you doesn't lead the animals out in the morning yeah, everybody does that because the animals are there um, and then so at, the, at one end of the house or upstairs there would be a guest room so so what we what Luke says is there's no room for them in the guest room because there are other family members there for the census or it can also be translated. There was a very interesting uh, study done uh, in an academic paper a few years ago. Uh, uh, and um, this person was arguing that the translation is not there. There wasn't a guest room for them, but the get, there was no room for them in the guest room or there was no room for Jesus. It was just too small, too many people there. So they were in the guest room. But Mary perhaps had to leave to give birth. To, to go out into the main part of the house or, or whatever. And, and then they put Jesus in, in, the, in the one out of the way place that was left, which was the manger. So all of that makes perfect sense. And then of course, once Jesus has been born, knock at the door, shepherds, well, I mean, certainly the shepherds came straight away because the angel said tonight in, in the town of David, yes, but, but they are not followed close on the heels by the wise men because the wise men come to the house to see the child probably sometime later could be a year or two late, later given given the age of the children that Herod exterminates uh, how many wise men we don't know there are three gifts but we don't know there are three wise men the wise men are not kings you know there's just so many bits we've added on to the story we make assumptions because we've told the story over and over and over and over and over in the same way year after year and we don't see the reality but does it really matter Tony, I mean, yes. it makes it's, it's, it, it, it gets the message across, doesn't it? It gets the point across. And all right, you know, I mean, the it? wise men rocked up later, but you know, we need to get them. We need to get them into the tableau in the carol service because otherwise, you can't you can't wait a year before you bring the wise men in because there'll be Christmas all over again. I mean, it, it, we need to do it. We need to it, artistic license, Tony. Surely. Well, I, I can go along with that to an extent, as but and. It would be possible, I suppose, to say each nativity story. These are last year's wise men <laughs> <laughs> just turning up with this year's shepherds. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, and does it matter? Yeah, I think it does matter for a number of reasons. One is 
we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Christians should be concerned about truth more than anyone else. So we shouldn't be content with telling half-baked, uh, misconstrued stories that, that actually don't reflect what the Bible narratives themselves actually say. We shouldn't be content with adding to it or, or twisting it or taking away from it or just misreading it. Uh, we should have higher standards than that. So that's one, one reason. Uh, second reason is that some of these kinds of things, because they are a little bit flaky historically, they easily end up in, in people's minds in the same category as some of the legendary elements of, of Christmas. Um, they, you know, those people who want to put Jesus in the same category as Father Christmas if they start realizing that some of the things that we say about the, the the birth narratives themselves are not are not strictly true, that that can help them to to call into question the whole thing. Pretty much as the the story of I mean, undoubtedly there was a historic Saint Nicholas. There was a historic person who endeavoured to do good. Santa as an imagery has grown up around it but nobody mm. really takes santa seriously it's and, and saint nicholas is kind of assigned into that same sort of category that's the sort of concern yeah. that you have here yeah yeah it is and then the third one i think is the most problematic which is that if we keep mis uh, keep telling these stories wrongly then it makes us interpret the biblical text strongly so we we like we it's important for us to say oh the wise men turned up in in jerusalem expecting to find jesus in in the palace but he wasn't there because jesus wasn't born in a palace um because he's he, although he gave up all the glory of heaven to be born as an ordinary human being yes absolutely right but then we almost we kind of we go too far ian paul makes this point in an article he wrote on his website a few years ago uh, about some of these things uh uh, uh, where he is uh, uh, very influenced by uh, a book that changed my thinking on this altogether, uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Ken Bailey. Um, but um, it's just a fantastic eye-opening book. Uh, but Ian Paul makes the point that uh, by by seeing Jesus being born in a, in a stable, like he's, he's actually excluded from the mainstream. He's pushed down an alley. It, you know, now he's one of the most needy of, of all people. And and yes, of course, Jesus identifies with, with the neediest, but he's he's no longer part of ordinary life. In the same way, he's not part of ordinary life if he was born in a palace. Now he's not part of ordinary life because he's he's pushed out of human society into into the place where the animals are. Um, and so it puts it into it makes it remote. It, it disconnects it from us jesus came to a real family situation yeah not maybe not a, a nuclear family situation like ours a very extended family situation with an awful lot of people under one roof for for these for these days weeks months possibly we don't we i mean we just don't know enough at that level but but here is a crowded family community situation and jesus is the son of god is born as a baby into the heart of the community not into an outhouse and not into a palace, but into the heart of of the community of people who, um, 
and and then more community people come the people from the wider community the shepherds come to welcome him and yes at some point the gentiles come to welcome him too as the, the, the wise men coming from the east um with with their gifts their symbolic gifts and 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 so there's there's an awful lot going on but he's born into the middle of ordinary human yeah. life and that is an important point and as we are thinking this week about the stories around christmas as we often do and the realities of the focus of our christmas and the way in which the ubiquitous messages and images of christmas whether they be christian or whether they be other around this whole time get into our heads it's important that we clarify and we have an understanding because one of the dangers with all of this tony is that it it shifts our focus doesn't it and, and I, I suppose we have two choices at christmas our focus is about us as people or our focus is about jesus let's think about that for a, a little while as we think about whether it's the cross or whether it's the tree that we will focus on this year it, we can make christmas very self-focused even when we're being very generous can't we Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, uh, um, we we can think of it uh, of it being self focused in two ways. I think one uh, individually self focused, so it's it's about me and what I get out of it, and 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 how am I going to to cope with the uh, with the the in laws or the uh, or the grandparents or the children or the dog or um, Aunt Ethel or the the socks you know what you know and it's all about ah or what am i going to get you know how am i going to enjoy myself how, what am i going to watch on television but it can also be self-focused in in a broader sense uh on on us focused but and that doesn't sound like self-focused but what i mean is that it's it's focused on ourselves as human beings as you said in, just now that it that it becomes about us it, it's not about a celebration of the incarnation of the son of god actually becoming a human being becoming one of us it i mean it is just such a an extraordinary transforming event in history uh and we we are so wrapped up with ourselves at christmas because of all of this extra stuff that we've added in because of the way that the this, this celebration has become so commercialized and all the rest of it um it is hard for us to keep the right focus. There's a, an element of self-indulgence in that as well, isn't there? When we, if yes. we let the focus settle onto humanity, and, and maybe that's the way, because an awful lot of people are very generous at Christmas. I mean, there is a, an underpinning yes. idea that Christmas is a time Absolutely. of generosity and, and kindness of spirits and so on. And, a, and the vast majority of people probably pick that up. But it is that, that mm. sense that we... The, the the self indulgence where it becomes about humanity and it becomes about mm. our family and it comes about our mm. kindness and and i suppose it excludes the reality the message of jesus in that we exclude mm. him in that oh yeah absolutely and, and and most of us who are christians recognize that we we do this we have moments during the the advent and christmas period where we we reflect more on what the incarnation really means and, and we lament the fact that we are caught up with preparing for, for the festivities rather than preparing to to reflect on Christ. And, and so you know, most of us have that tension. We live with that dilemma. 
Um, but uh, yeah, there is. We are as guilty of self-indulgence as maybe not as guilty, but we are guilty of self-indulgence in the same way as many of the people around us who are not claiming to celebrate the, the true story of Christmas at all. Uh, and, and you you made an interesting just comment along the way there about our kindness. We can be self-indulgent in our kindness uh, because our, our very generosity can be meeting our needs uh, because we can feel good about ourselves, that we are being, we are being kind and generous and we're supplying all of this great uh, bounty at our table. Welcome to our table. Aren't we wonderful people? Um, so yeah, we can, we can be meeting our own needs at that level. I think one of the problems is that we see, too easily see Christmas like all of the rest of life in, in material terms. Um, so we've mentioned once or twice in my discussions with you about the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, who's I've been working on quite a lot this year for my uh, PhD research. And uh, Taylor says that we, we live in what he calls the imminent frame. So the imminent is, is the here and the now and, and, and the, the physical. And, and we see, he says, that everybody in the Western world sees life essentially in those terms. Um, now, that the, it may be closed, like living in a closed glass box, um, because in which case we don't recognize that there is any transcendent dimension. There's, there is no God. There's nothing beyond it. It really is only the physical. Uh, but he says those who are believers, whether in the Christian believers or, or believers in Buddhism or anything else, um, but those people who do recognize a transcendent dimension, um, they, they live in an open imminent frame, but by which he means we're open to transcendence the top there's no top on the box but still as we look around at the world around us what we see is stuff at a physical level and we our default is to think about all of life at the imminent level and not to be thinking about it as what is god doing and how is god involved in this and he says that is such a radical transformation from 500 years ago where where it would be unthinkable to see the world in those kinds of terms because God was involved in everything. But now we interpret our, all of our health issues in physical terms, our mental health issues in physical terms, our social issues in physical terms, natural disasters in physical terms, and, and growing in understanding of all these things at a physical level. Absolutely right. That's part of our, of our scientific progress, which comes out of being made in the image of God. All of that is good, but it does mean it's very easy just to, to stop our thinking there and to not see that God is involved, not to recognize that there are powers of darkness at work in the world as well. And we do that to Christmas. So we don't we don't see Christmas firstly in transcendent terms. This is God breaking in. We see Christmas firstly as this is a nice time. And it's also about Jesus. So when we shift our focus then and we take our focus from ourselves, we take our focus from humanity, we take our focus from the, the box, what difference does it make if we actively choose this year to put our focus for Christmas first and foremost on Christ and God breaking into the world, his light coming into the darkness? Of course, <laughs> This is difficult difficulty then, isn't it? Because at one level, it might make no difference whatsoever in terms of what what we do, because 
it's right that we celebrate. It's right that we're generous. It's right that we feast. It's okay to watch some television. You know, all God has given us good things to enjoy, and this is a time to enjoy them. But there's no, there's no, in principle, problem with with having a great celebration in the dark days of of the year, especially after uh, the kind of year that we've had. So, at one level, it might not change very much, but the way we go about it surely has to change, doesn't it? The way I have to go about it, I, I need to. I need to do something to radically reorientate the way that I think about all that I'm doing and not just to drift with the, with, with the, the ordinary Christmas flow that's just been the pattern for year after year after year of Christmases. And just, you know, there's, there's certain expectations, certain, the traditions are so established not just the community traditions or the society-wide traditions but the traditions of my family and and we had a little discussion with one of my sons on zoom on 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 sunday and say oh we might do something different for christmas lunch this year (laughs) horror nobody likes turkey but everybody wants it on christmas day (laughs) and we wouldn't have this and but you you, we need to do this Okay, we're, you know, we have our own, our own family traditions. Um, but the way we do that, you know, what for, for each thing, each element of, of Christmas, is this, is this about me or is this uh, a way of, of celebrating the Lord's coming in some way? How, how, how does this, okay, how does this preparation of this dish for Christmas lunch, because we always have um, um, sprouts. Come um, on, we all have sprouts. Sprouts. Okay, mm. we, we we all have sprouts, but uh, you know, or, uh, or or red cabbage and apple is one of the favourites in, in our house that, that we're not allowed to do away with. Um, so as we as we're preparing that dish, that actually is is doing a number of different things it, it is part of of enabling the family or, or the however many people we, we have to, to to feast well in order to celebrate and that's that's good feasting has always been part of celebrating what god has done um, but it's also um, a recognition a, a gratitude for the good things that god has given us which which is culminates in, in the coming of the Lord Jesus but but God has given us all these good things so we can celebrate them in themselves but it's also an anticipation all feasting looks ahead to the new creation the 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 the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus into our world and then his dying and rising again and his ascension back to heaven promises us the new creation so our feasting now celebrating the incarnation is also anticipating the new creation and and advent was always about Advent is not about preparing for the first coming of Christ because he's come. Advent has always in, in, in church history until relatively recently been about reflecting up, remembering that with a view to reflecting on the second coming of the Lord Jesus and what he will be bringing in. And, and we've lost that. So, so how can my preparation of Christmas lunch be an anticipation of new creation? And do you think there's an element here where, I mean, the core message of Christmas is the idea of the incarnation, that Jesus comes into the world, that God comes into the world and dwells with us. The divine becomes flesh. The the connection of Jesus, of the Christ child, 
at the heart, at the core of life. Is, is that perhaps the key to what you're driving at, that when we, we grasp and remember and actively apply that sense to our preparation of Christmas, then it doesn't matter whether the festival or the, the element of it is overtly spiritual or whether it is perhaps a little more secular. If Christ is at the core of it, it becomes a place of worship. Yes, I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. Um, so part of it is how do we get to that point i mean that's that's the challenge of all of our discipleship isn't it how do we how do we in practice get christ at the center of our day-to-day living and that's not an easy question to answer um because we live in such a distracted world um our, our technology distracts us the the news cycle distracts us media distracts us uh, the, the frenetic nature of life distracts us. The, the pressures of COVID distract us. The, and and life, human life has always had lots of distraction. It's not a new thing, but the, the nature and the intensity of distraction in the contemporary world is, is extraordinary. Alan Noble talks about this a lot in his book, Disruptive Witness. Um, and, and he says in there that we need to find ways of of living, we need to find practices and disciplines, um, rituals even, that will enable us to fight the distraction. So we need to, to carve out time for, for quiet and reflection, for, uh, for silence and solitude and, and time to read God's word. And you know, that all sounds like it's stating the obvious, but we don't do it very mm. well. Um, and that's why I think that's one of the reasons why traditional carol services were powerful when they were done well, were powerful in a way that can more contemporary ones are not always. And now I don't hear me as being anti-contemporary carol services. I'm not. We've, we've done some great ones in, in my church and I, I love them. But the contemporary modes of worship generally are often again generalization they are often quite reflective of the time that we live in in that they're quite full-on and um uh, with with high sound levels and you know there's there's lots in them because that's the kind of culture we live in whereas more traditionally i think there would be more scope for for silence and reflection uh, uh, Maybe it's because of the use of liturgy, where, where we keep liturgy. I mean, I'm from a pretty non-liturgical church. I'm from an independent evangelical church where liturgy is not a big thing. And I think that's, a, that's, that's something missing, mm. really, because liturgy gives us those moments of, of quiet, of pause, of, of times of silence. Um, and the more reflective carols, the more reflective songs and, and and christmas poetry and things they can we need things to push us into a reflective space and it's not all we mustn't be all celebrating and and, and rejoicing all the time because we need to reflect on, on what this actually means and and is so what i'm saying is are we are we going about this in a way that gives us the space to reflect or are we just bombarding ourselves with more stuff even more christian stuff 
I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I think I think it does. I think finding the balance is important in that, mm, though, yeah. isn't it? Because I mean, yeah. we I don't think any of us would want to remove the idea of gifts and feasting from no, the Christmas no. celebration, but we have to hold it in. We have to hold it in tension with that. Well, I, I suppose we we have the, the the idea of gifts. Obviously, I, I'm say obviously. You might correct me because yeah, you know who knows? I might be barking up the wrong tree here. But the the idea of gifts it comes from the May guy. It comes from the wise men bringing gifts to the baby, doesn't it? Mm. But the bringing of mm. the gifts was focused on the child. Is that what are those the traditions yeah. that we need to maybe enhance more? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, I I I think you're right that that's that's the origin of gift giving. There is an argument that it's also because of one of the the stories, one of the legends, probably about Nicholas of Myra, the original original Saint Nicholas Bishop of Smyrna, that that he was such a, a good person and and he gave gifts. Uh, I mean, the particular legend is that he, he couldn't get into this house to leave gifts with his poor family. So he threw them down the chimney. Uh, and that's why the stocking business is on, on the, the mantelpiece is put up. I mean, that that is clearly legend. But, but he, he does seem to be somebody who was known for his generosity. So so it may there's probably a little bit of both of those going on in there. But, you know, why why was he giving gifts in the first place? Because God has given the ultimate gift and the Magi gave gifts to 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 jesus as a as a as a marking of of who he is but that yeah that's become not cor well yeah corrupted uh yeah because that's the word that we try to avoid yeah. very often as christians we try <laughs> yeah, to avoid saying yeah. that but actually that i'm sorry i'm sorry no no i i think you have a valid point because we do try to avoid being the sort of wet blanket and so on but yeah. actually the 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 way in which gift giving has become so commercialized so it, now it, it has taken yes. on this transactional thing that i yes. uh, i buy you a gift and you are duty bound to buy a gift mm. for me of equal value and if you should buy me a gift of greater value than i have given you what does that say about our relationship and therefore do i then need to think about what i give to you next christmas and how i buy yeah. and it, it suddenly becomes this thing of massive pressure because it's yeah. driven by you know prime motivators <laughs> but it becomes this massive pressure yeah. rather than something that is out of a generous heart and and you've and yes. you you've got to find that core for it to have a meaning that is reflects the incarnation yes that that's right you, you do and, and and i think to say uh, to keep, as we said, we've already said, keeping in mind how this points to the incarnation and celebrates the incarnation is is really key. Because if my gift giving is, I I am giving a gift uh, because to to whoever because I love them and I value them. And I, I uh, and in a sense, as as I give them something, I need to be seeing that as as giving to is that, i think this makes sense I, I need to see my gift giving to them as somehow reflecting my gift giving to the lord yes, i yes, i'm grateful yes. that that 
that the Lord has given that person to me in my life. And I and I reflect that general that that gratitude to God's generosity in the giving of this person to me in the same way that he gave ultimately gave his son. I, I give the gift to them, which is which is kind of I need to see that as ultimately a gift to to God himself. Um, but of course, we mustn't neglect giving to to the church more widely and, and to the perhaps particularly to the persecuted church or, or to the you know the, the, the wider church uh, as a sense of more directly giving to the Lord um, out of our gratitude for all that he's done but, but it, our motivation needs to be the incarnation has changed everything and, and out of the gratitude of my heart for the incarnation and for all of the good gifts that God has given given us that, that, that are entailments of that or follow on from that in some sense then i will then i will give and i will be generous i because i'm reflecting the heart of god at that point so when we think about christmas and we think about this this period of time and all these messages and i mean i, I don't know we, we haven't touched on the idea of the 25th of december you know whether that, oh, uh -huh. let, let alone trees and that sort of thing but are there some of these things that we need to let go of do you think and feel free to visit the 25th of december and trees as we think about this uh, the twenty well, let's just mention the twenty fifth of December since you brought that up. Uh, so, the, one of the, the the things that you hear quite a lot, especially from atheists, is that we only celebrate Christmas on the twenty fifth of December, twenty fifth of December, because uh, Christians, ooh, those terrible Christians, they took over this this ancient pagan festival. Why why do Christians always have to pinch ancient pagan festivals? So the the Sol Invictus. The, um, the the conquering of the sun over the the depths of winter in the darkest time of the year uh, that's what we are celebrating and then the Romans celebrated Saturnalia and uh, the Christians said oh look here's a convenient little little festival it's we can't have these pagans celebrating let's let's take that in oh we could celebrate Jesus um, and that actually has no foundation whatsoever because um the the earliest record of that being celebrated was in 273 if i remember correctly and and Chris, christians have been celebrating christmas at this time of year already for a couple of centuries by that point so the question is why do we celebrate on the 25th of december and, and yes there was something of a takeover in the sense that western europe became Christianized. And so those pagans who were celebrating midwinter festivals, to, and, and uh, particularly in Northern Europe to, to the, um, with, with, with Yule logs and all these kinds of things, those people became Christians. And, and they were found that they were celebrating midwinter and Christmas at the same time. And, and gradually the, some of the old traditions just kind of leached into the christmas celebrations and got reinterpreted or just just held on you know they just didn't drop them um but but the the pagan ideas dropped off and they carried carried on celebrating christmas but it's just because the two were, were so close together but christians were, were already celebrating it earlier so uh, earlier than than, than um, saturnalia and sol invictus so to why 25th of december it comes about because there was an old tradition that prophets of which jesus was one of course um, 
always died on the anniversary of either their birth or their conception. So he died at Passover, um, and uh, thought almost certainly twenty fifth, you know, twenty fifth of March thereabouts, and therefore nine months. Oh, twenty fifth of December. That's when Jesus must have been conceived. <laughs> you think, oh, so it's not it's not completely baseless, but almost certainly Jesus was born in the spring because the shepherds were out in the fields looking after the sheep. So lambing time. Um, and and of course the the area around Bethlehem was the the the, the primary area for for rearing sheep for the for the temple in Jerusalem, so the shepherds are actually out there looking after the Passover lambs. <gasps> that's a staggering thought, isn't it? Yeah, that really is. That really is. And yeah. the idea that the shepherds would come and that they would give not only give worship but also be then be enthused with excitement about god breaking into the world so they proclaimed it to the world and his wife as they went back yeah. to their flocks i mean that just yeah. is a I, I suspect i may well quote that in a christmas sermon the the this year because it is a fascinating thought well, what about the tree then because you know we we make much don't we about you know is christmas about the cross or is it about the tree um and we get the heart of that it's obviously about the cross but what about the tree i mean should we have these christmas trees as part of our christmas celebration well i know i know somebody who um argued very strongly that uh, they should not have a christmas tree because these were pagan <laughs> and so they had a if I remember rightly, they had a big igloo instead, <laughs> which appears to be slightly inconsistent. Not that igloos are pagan, but I mean, is that how is that any more Christian? Yes, yeah. <laughs> because because where what has snow got to do with Christmas? Especially if Jesus was born in in the spring. Um, so in the bleak mid winter, lovely lines and all that. There's a great verse in that. You know, there's some great lines in that carol, but it's it's not bleak winter and the snow hadn't fallen, snow on snow. But now the tree, uh, yes, uh, early Reformation or late medieval origins, probably there's there's two main contenders and it could have origins in both of these. One is that um, uh, a, a monk whose name has gone from my head, Boniface, St. Boniface, went to Latvia. Uh, and brought the gospel to Latvia. And in trying to communicate about the Trinity, he used the image of the, the basically triangular shape of a fir tree to talk, to, to talk about the Trinity. So the early Latvian Christians, according to Latvian legend, really, or, or tradition, uh, started celebrating uh, the fir tree as God's tree because it represented the Trinity. So they would they would hang it in in their homes at, at Christmas to remind them of the Trinity. So that's that's one possibility. Uh, another possibility is that in the medieval mystery plays there was often a paradise tree um, representing the tree of of life in the in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and and that was sometimes brought into into homes at Christmas as a way of remembering that, but also decorated with apples to remind people of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because, of course, in Eden is where is where it all went yeah, wrong. And that's yeah. what precipitated the need for the incarnation. Yeah. So so there's that tradition. Uh, and then there was um, the the idea 
in um, I think early Reformation times in 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 the German uh, sort of states of a of a of a triangular shelf. So um, not a flat triangle, but a but a I think a three dimensional you know flat bottom with a with a triangular top that that would be would be put out at Christmas with um, effectively a, a nativity scene on it with Christmas figures. Um, and that that was then combined with one of these other traditions. So let's take these Christmas figures and put them on a, a triangle, basically a triangular tree um, as a as a way of, of reminding us of incarnation. So if those are, I think I said two, those were actually three possible origins for, for trees coming into the home, all with with Christian traditions. It's it almost certainly isn't to do with the bringing of a Yule log in because that's a separate tradition. Uh, the Christmas tree and the Yule log, which which does have pagan origins, um, those seem to be distinct traditions, but because it's evergreen stuff coming in, it's easy to see how they merged. And it's important then, isn't it? And we need to, to draw to a close our musings on this, but it, it is important for us to to have our facts right. It is important for us to, to have our understanding right. But it, going right back to what we said at the beginning, it is important for us to have the message of this time mm. right. And whatever we're going to enjoy with Christmas we need to be clear that the message is accurate and true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the message is, is, has got to be right at the centre and we, we easily talk about incarnation. But what does it really mean that God himself, the Son of God, one of the, 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 one of the Trinity, you know, uh, the Son of God, becomes human and is and remains human he is he could not represent us before god as if he only took on the form of humanity but he is one of us he he dies the perfect sacrifice as as one of us but also as god himself he 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 takes the punishment that we deserve on himself he takes the separation that we deserve on ourselves on himself he takes the wrath on himself he does it willingly he the the father the son and the spirit from before creation unitedly planned this this rescue mission of humanity and god breaks into our world he doesn't just manifest in our world but he becomes one of us to mix with the the ordinary people, the low life, and and the and the wealthy, and the influential, and the non-influential, and the lame, and the and the the weak, and the and the excluded, the marginalised, the women, the Samaritans, the 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 lepers. He he mixes with the whole jolly lot of us, the good ones and the bad ones. Uh, he is one of us. He's tempted in every way, just as we are, genuinely tempted, yet entirely was without sin so that he makes the perfect sacrifice at, at Easter. We cannot separate Christmas and Easter. Um, and we need to reflect much more on, on what incarnation really means for us and why it matters and, and, and why it still matters that, that there is a man at the right hand of, of, of the Father in heaven interceding for us, saying, just Jane and I are reading Dane Orland's brilliant book, Gentle and Lowly, at the moment about the heart of Christ. 
and a wonderful couple of chapters it's all wonderful but a particularly brilliant couple of chapters about about christ as the man interceding yes. for us before the father who 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 wants the son to intercede for us he longs to to hear um but but jesus saying to the father constantly i know what it's like to be tempted like they are but I have paid the price for them. And that's what Christmas is all about. And we're looking ahead, as we've, we said earlier, our feast anticipates the new creation that he's bringing, uh, where there will be the marriage feast of, of Christ and his bride, the church. Oh, Wonderful stuff. And you can find out more of Tony's thoughts on this and indeed a whole host of other things by having a look at his website, tonywatkins.co.uk. Dot uk it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you for joining us to reflect on christmas this year thank you tony great pleasure thank you you've been listening to ucb life issues i'm paul hammond and though it's been said many times many ways this year genuinely let's put our focus on the reality that makes it merry christmas to everyone good night <laughs>